Well, how many know today is the day to start trusting Jesus? And if you've been trusting Him all along, hey, trust Him a little bit more. God's okay with more, amen? We're continuing on with our sermon series on the book of Job. I was out of town last week. We had a great uh, trip, but I am so glad to be home, amen? Anybody glad to have me home? No, I'm glad to be home. If it wasn't for my son, uh, Dustin, out in New York, we've been lost the whole time we were out there. But thank God he was there uh, in the middle of that big city. But we're continuing on with this sermon series on the book of Job. And today we've titled this message, Can You Hear Me? How many times do you think a day God asks you that question? Can you hear me? When I think of the book of Job, I actually think of a book of hope. Some people, when they think of the book of Job, they think of a book of despair. They think of a book where a guy had everything and lost everything. They think of a guy who had everything going for him, and it seems like in one day, everything fell apart. Everything went really, really wrong. Well, that is true. That happened. But guess what? That was in chapters 1 and 2 of Job. There were 40 chapters after that, and in the end, Sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture. In the end, God did some incredible things in Job's life. That's why the main scripture that we've been using through this whole sermon series is actually Job 42, verse 12. It said, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first part. The Lord, God blessed the latter part, the second half of Job's life more than the first part. I want that for my life. I want that for your life. But as I see Job go through everything he went through, there's no doubt he was frustrated. Anybody ever been frustrated? Yeah, we all should have our hands up, right? I mean, life is full of frustrations. I just said we went out to New York. Well, I don't fly much. Airports are frustrating. You've got to check in. Then you've got to check in your luggage. Then you've got to get in these long lines and, and uh, go through security, take off your belt, take off your shoes, empty your pockets, take off your watch. I'm worried about my pants falling down in the middle of the airport. You've got to go through the x-ray machine and take a picture of, you know. Anyway, I got all these frustrations, the long lines. Well, Austin and I thought, wow, this one's not bad. Let's get in this one. Well, the attendant let us know, that's not your line, boys. That's your line. It was about a mile long. To make matters worse, our flight, I should say our flights, plural, going out and coming back were both delayed. So there was a lot of frustration, lots of frustration on our trip. And I was so frustrated, I realized that everything around me, that I wasn't paying attention to anything but the frustration. How many have ever got to that point in your life where all you're focusing on is the frustration that's going on with whatever problem uh, you're going through in your life? Maybe you're frustrated today with your marriage. Maybe you're frustrated because you're not married today. Maybe you're frustrated with your job. You're frustrated because you're not the boss and you think you should be the boss. And some bosses out here are thinking, well, you can be the boss. I'm frustrated because I am the boss. Amen? Maybe you're frustrated with something going on in your life to the point where you're not paying attention to the obvious. All you see are the frustrations going on all around you. I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm certain that some of you come in here on a Sunday morning and don't hear a word that I say because you're frustrated. You come in here, you don't hear a word that I'm saying because you're mad at somebody or something, and somebody's probably mad at me right now because I'm even taking time to talk about frustration. You're frustrated, amen? 
Moving on. There have been some times in my life where I've tried to pray. I've tried to read my Bible, but it was so hard to concentrate because I was so frustrated. Have you ever done that in your quiet time with God? You can't get your mind on God. You've got it on everything else but God. I was frustrated. Well, guess who's behind all that? The enemy. The enemy of our soul wants to keep us unfocused, wants to keep us distracted and frustrated, so much to the point where we're not listening. That was what was going on in the book of Job, and especially in what I'm going to talk about today. By Job chapter 2, Job's whole life had fallen apart. We haven't seen anything like Job saw in just chapters 1 and 2. His life falls apart completely. In chapter 3, he starts talking, and he has three friends come over, if you know the story. Let's just call them so-called friends. They come over, and they start chatting with Job. And from chapter 3 through 38, they have a conversation with Job where they're talking about theology. They're talking about God. Nothing wrong with talking theology, nothing at all wrong about talking about God, but the problem was that's all they did, was talk about God. Not one of those four guys sought God. Not one of those four guys talked to God to get some direction, get some answers. So God just let them talk. He let them ramble on from chapter 3 through 38, and then in chapter 38, God finally steps in. Listen to what he says in Job chapter 38, because this is so amazing. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Remember, he's been in a storm since chapter 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Let me just say today, if you're in any kind of storm situation in your life, you've got problems going on, that's the time to stop and listen. Because sometimes right when we're in the middle of the biggest storm in our life is when God's going to speak the loudest. That's when God's going to try to get our attention and speak what he wants to speak into our lives. I believe that God reveals himself in our storms if we'll let him. I believe he wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal Jesus in the middle of our storm. Remember the story about the disciples in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the hole of the ship with the disciples. This horrible storm hits. They think they're going to drown and sink. They wake up Jesus. He calms the storm. So God reveals himself in the middle of the storm. So after letting these boys ramble for 35 chapters, God steps up to the plate and has something to say. Look what chapter 38, verse 2 says. Who is this that obscures my plans and words without, with words without knowledge? He's actually saying, you guys have been doing a lot of talking, but you don't know what you're talking about. He says, verse 3, brace yourself like a man. I like the King Jimmy version of that. He says, gird up your loins, Job, which basically means, hey, bro, it's go time. Stop being a Nancy out there. Let's go. You ever think of God speaking like that? Use your imagination sometimes. But he says, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Then God goes off again. Basically, he says, okay, Job, where were you when I created the mountains? Job, where were you when I created the sun, moon, and the stars? Job, where were you when I created every living creature Job, where were you when I created this earth that you're living on? Where were you, Job, in all of this? It's kind of like the parent that gets mad at their child and says, I've finally had enough. Let me just say, I think God's kind of at that point. I've had enough, boys. Then Job, in chapter 40, verse 3, it says this, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. God, I spoke once, but I have no answer twice. I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, brace yourself like a man. 
Basically, I can picture God saying, Job, I've listened to you and your idiotic friends for 35 chapters. It's time for you guys to sit down, shut up, because i got something to say. Just think outside the box sometimes. You might say Job learned to surrender. I believe Job learned to seek and surrender to the voice of God during his storm. I think some of us, that's what it takes sometimes to get us to surrender to the voice of God. God allows the storm because of his love for us. Job learned that it wasn't what he says about God that matters. He learned that it wasn't what he thinks about God that matters. It was what God said about him that matters. And today it's what God has to say to you that matters. It's what God has to say to me that matters. And I believe every one of us, God wants to speak to you today. I believe he wants to speak to you every day of the week. Even in your night dreams, God wants to speak to you. God is always wanting to speak to us. He wants his voice to be heard. People ask me, Pastor, well, how does God speak to you? I'd say the same way he speaks to you. I don't have any, this, any magic phone to heaven. I don't have a bat phone to heaven, a hotline to heaven. I don't have any special connection that you don't have. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I just wish that God would speak audibly like he did in the Old Testament. I would say, wait a minute. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I believe he's speaking just as loud and powerfully today as he's ever spoken. And it's not that God doesn't want to speak to us. It's that we're not listening. It's not that God doesn't want to speak to us. It's that we don't want to hear what he has to say. I've heard people say, wouldn't it be cool, Pastor, if God would send us a text message? Yeah, that would be nice. Wouldn't it be cool if God wrote on my Facebook wall? That would be cool. But let me tell you, I believe with all of my heart that God is more obvious than Facebook or textbook, text, texting. I believe God is more obvious and wants to be more obvious in his voice in our lives than we even give him credit for. So today I want to go over some ways that I believe God speaks, and I always have to start out with this first one. He speaks to us through this Word, through the Bible. Do you realize that? If you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to read the Word of God. I hear so many people say, hey, I want to hear the voice of God. I really do. But they never dare to crack open their Bible. How can you hear the voice of God if you never look at the Word of God and read it for yourself? Now, I know there are all sorts of people out there that want to argue about the Word of God. They want to argue about the Bible. I've even heard people come up to me and say, Pastor, well, I was watching this religious docu documentary on the History Channel, and they said this or that, and I'm thinking, that doesn't add up at all. But I'm saying, wait a minute, put on the brakes. If you're getting your theology from the History Channel, you're looking at the wrong source. If you're getting your history, your theology from the History Channel, you probably better think again. Amen. The people, of the people that have a problem with the Bible, I'll just say this, don't actually have, a, have so much trouble with the Bible as they do authority. And I think if you cut it down, we all have a problem with authority. In our human nature, we have a problem with authority. Let me do a little test here. Parents, how many of you know any children that have a problem with authority issues? How many know those names of those children? Yes, we do, because they're yours and they're mine. Amen? I told Austin the other day, I said, Austin, take out the trashes in the garbage. And he told me his standard answer, why? Or asked the same standard question, why? And I gave him the old mom and dad answer, because I said so. Amen? Mom and dad used to try that with me. We've all heard that. Some of you don't like the speed limit signs. You say they're way too restrictive. They say, well, pastor, you should obey them because you're a pastor, but I don't have to. I'm going to question the authority. 
Well, let me just say, if you don't think you have to and you question authority, you better be on the alert because there might be a guy or a gal out there sitting in a little car with a siren and a red flashing light that's going to pull you over, and they're going to tell you that your opinion doesn't matter all that much. Amen? They have authority over the roadways. When it comes to accountability, the Bible holds us accountable. Do you realize that above everything else? As followers of Christ, the Bible holds us accountable and for those that don't want to be held accountable and think all they have to do is question authority, they better think again, because when God speaks clearly, we ought to be submitting. When God speaks clearly into our lives, we ought to be submitting to what he has to say, because believe it or not, God's not changing his mind. God's not changing his mind about what he said about sex. God's not changing his mind about what he said about money. God's not changing his mind about family. God's not changing his mind about marriage even though our culture may tell us something totally opposite, God is not changing his mind about anything he has ever said in his word. God is steadfast. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he meant it. It's like battling with weight issues. Some of us battle with weight issues, and I remember a couple years ago, Mama Jean lived with us, and she was in chicken training. She was dieting. She was exercising, getting in shape, feeling great, looking good. Then for some reason, she quit. I don't remember why she quit, but I remember one evening, she came in to try our bathroom scales, and she gets in there, and she jumps up on the scales, and you could hear the disgust. She said, these things are wrong. This is broken. You guys need to get a new set of scales. And I'm in the other room, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Would it have anything to do with those 20 ho-hos you've got tucked under your seat in the car? Would it have anything to do with the 20 candy bars you bought from the Boy Scouts on their fundraiser last week? She wanted to blame it on the scales. We all laugh, but we've done the same thing. We're always looking for someone else to blame. We, won't, we don't want to take responsibility. We don't want to be held accountable. People come to Cheryl and I, and they ask us, Pastor, can we talk to you guys uh, uh, a minute? And usually when they come and talk to us, I know something's up. I know that they've got some kind of breakdown in their life. They've got some kind of problem. Something's jacked up in their lives. I hardly ever, okay, never, get the call where some guy calls me and says, Hey, Pastor, how you doing? Hey, I'm loving my, my wife like Christ loved the church. Hey, Pastor, I'm uh, uh, raising my, my family in a Christian God-centered home. Hey, Pastor, I quit watching pornography. Hey, Pastor, I just love uh, to call you and tell you I love you and have a great day. I don't get very many of those calls. Usually when we get a call, it's like people are in trouble. And that's okay, we're here to serve. But they're in desperate trouble. Their lives are broken. And the whole reason they're broken wasn't because they decided to submit to God and what He said it was because they, on their own, made a decision that was contrary to God's Word, contradictory to God's Word, and then they expect everything to go well. Well, if you're out there making decisions that are not according to God's Word, it's not going to go well. That's just how the system works. It's broken without God in your life. I would say today, the great thing about God and following this word and doing what it says is that you don't have to have any regrets in life. If you follow that word, you don't have to have any regrets in life. His, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active. You might just see this as a bound book with printed pages in it. This is not a bound book with printed pages in it. It's a living word. It's the word of God that is alive. It's not only alive, right there it says it's active. 
to accomplish things. Listen to what it says. It expounds on it. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of spirit and soul. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes or the intents of the heart. So if God wants to speak to you nine times out of ten, he's going to use his word. Nine times out of ten, he's going to speak to you through the Bible. you got to crack open the Bible. Because when you start reading the word of God, you'll start seeing things the way God sees things. You'll start thinking the way God thinks. And when you start seeing and thinking the way God thinks, then it's going to be a whole lot easier to obey God and what he's telling you to do. The Bible backs itself up. What does the Bible say about the Bible? All over the place it confirms itself. But Psalms 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord, the word of God, is perfect, refreshing for the soul. Proverbs 30 verse 5, Every word, not just a few, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So at the end of the day, what I'm telling you is this word works. At the end of the day, this Bible and what it has to say works. If you're doing your marriage by what this Bible says, it's going to be a successful marriage. It's going to be a good marriage. It's going to be a happy marriage. If you're doing your finances by the way this word says to do your finances, you're not going to be broke, okay? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be prosperous. If you're doing anything in your life according to that word, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be prospered because that word works. So get in your word. I'm definitely not telling you if you're a first-time or a young Christian or first-time Bible reader to go to the book of Revelations. I'm not saying that. I get confused in the book of Revelation. You'd read one chapter in the book of Revelation, you'll think this John that wrote the book's on crack cocaine or something. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, he's got all these visions that I can't even understand. be honest with you, he couldn't even understand them. Amen? Don't go to the book of Revelation. Start simple. Go to Psalms. Go to Proverbs. Go to the Gospels, especially the book of John. I love the book of John. Read for yourself. If you would start reading 10 minutes a day, it would change everything. Just 10 minutes a day. If I ask you to do anything for 10 minutes a day for like 21 days in a row and you'd get a million dollars, guess what? Every one of us would be doing that 10-minute-a-day thing for 21 days because we value a million dollars. But maybe the bigger question and the eternal question is how much more important and priceless and precious is hearing the voice of God that settles eternal matters, amen? The money that we see is going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Eternity is going to last forever. I believe that God wants us to get a plan when it comes to reading his word. And he's not a God that wants you to memorize chapter after chapter. Just start with one verse. Start with 10 minutes a day. Get a plan. Because I believe with all of my heart, the primary way God wants to speak to every one of us on a daily basis is through his word. But he's not going to speak to you through the word unless you carve out the time and make time to spend just 10 minutes a day. If you don't have 10, go five. And don't tell me you don't have time. Amen? I know we all have time if we would make the time. The second way God wants to speak to us, if you're still taking notes, is through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever seen Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation Show? Ever heard of Cousin Eddie? We all have a weird Cousin Eddie in our family. You know it? We all have a weirdo in our family. And if you're sitting there with a blank look on your face thinking, I don't think we have a weird Cousin Eddie. You're the weird Cousin Eddie in your family. Amen? 
I mean, we all have a weirdo in our family, and it's like whenever we have a family get-together, before Cousin Eddie gets here, we start throwing disclaimers out there to anyone that maybe has never met Cousin Eddie. It's kind of like we forewarn them, we've got him in our family, he's part of our family, but don't pay attention to anything he does, don't listen to anything he does or say, because he's a little bit out there. I said all that to say, I think, in a lot of ways, the church treats the Holy Spirit as weird Cousin Eddie. Yeah, they'll say, well, he's part of, our, part of the family of God. The Bible says so, but he's out there. You never know what he's going to say. You never know what he's going to do. Well, two words that describe the Holy Spirit in the Bible are wind and fire. Wind and fire. When you get that combination together of wind and fire, what do you have? Something uncontrollable. What do you have? Something powerful. On the flip side of that, I know of some super hyper- Uh, spiritual, maybe the charismatic type churches that all they do is talk about the Holy Spirit. That you don't even hear Jesus or God mentioned in their services anymore because it's all about the Holy Spirit. How spiritual you are. How full of the Holy Spirit you are. And they can be downright prideful about it. They think no one else is going to heaven except them. But they can get prideful uh, about, about that Holy Spirit. But I found that even though they claim to be so hyper, super spiritual... Guess what? They deal with the same sins that we deal with every day, the same struggles, the same problem with uh, lying, slandering, gossiping, so many, whatever it might be. I came from a Pentecostal background. That's my, where my roots are at. But I learned a long time ago when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he didn't send the Holy Spirit to be recognized. He didn't send the Holy Spirit to say, hey, look at me and who I am. Look, Jesus sent me the Holy Spirit. He didn't draw any attention to himself. You know what the Holy Spirit came to do? Put the attention on Jesus. He came to acknowledge and reveal Jesus and his word. So what I'm saying in the whole thing, you can be on one spectrum or another. There needs to be some middle balance, okay? There needs to be some middle ground. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, and I love this part, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Do you realize when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were sealed? You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession? And then he says, to the praise of his glory. So if you're in Christ, try to get a hold of this, and it's impossible to truly grasp it, but try to get a hold of it. If you're in Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you. If you are in Christ, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, tell me that's not some power. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. There should be power living in our lives. The only problem is so many of us, It's kind of like that little present that gets left under the Christmas tree and covered up by all the unwrapped gifts uh, that we've accepted. And we never pick up the Holy Spirit. We never accept that gift into our lives. I believe it's a precious gift that God has given every one of us. And the Holy Spirit, without a doubt, wants to speak every day into your life. You know, I've had people come to me. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I know what the Bible says about such and such, but you know, I've been praying and I think the Holy Spirit is telling me something different. No. The Holy Spirit, that's impossible. The Holy Spirit can never tell you anything 
or never do anything that's contrary to the Word of God. It's impossible. I've had young girls come up to me and say, Hey, Pastor, I'd like to get into a relationship with a non-believer. I know what the Bible says about being unequally yoked and it's not right, but I've been praying and I feel like the Holy Spirit says it's okay. No, he didn't. You're to base your decisions not off of your emotions, but off of the Word of God. I've had people come up to me and say, Well, Pastor, we know that having sex outside of marriage... uh, Goes against what the Bible says, but we're going to get married anyway, Pastor, and we've been talking about it, we've been praying about it, and the Holy Spirit said it's okay. I want to put on the brakes right here and said you might have heard from a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit, amen? I'm just saying. Jesus says in John 11 or 14, verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Where has he said all this to us? Where has he reminded us? In his word. If you get in his word, it's full of reminders. If you get his word, it's full of truth. Usually when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, though, guess what? He's wanting to make some changes in our lives. Some people take it wrong. When they get a word from the Holy Spirit, it's like, well, my life is perfect. I'll go out and fix everybody else's life. Amen? They point out what's wrong in everybody else's uh, lives. That's not the way it works. How many have found out that the most prayerful Powerful prayer we can pray is not God change the world, it's God change me. God change my heart. God change my attitude. And I believe on a daily basis the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us. A lot of us aren't recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit. To give you an example, if you're driving down the road and you hear and a name pops into your mind and you feel like you ought to be praying for that person, let me just give you a heads up. That's not the devil telling you that. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit. And if I've been preaching on the lost, inviting them to church, praying for the lost, somebody pops into your mind again, that's not the enemy, that's not Satan, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit, God speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is alive. The Holy Spirit is living and wants to be active in our lives. And I believe even in my life, He wants to be a whole lot more active than I've allowed Him to be. The third way that God speaks into our lives is through the church. Through this church, the physical church. The local church. Some people say, well, pastor, I have the word. I have the spirit of God. Then why do I need the church? Well, when the word is being preached and the spirit of God is moving, guess what that sets up? That sets up a platform for God to speak what he needs to speak in the context of the local church. And more than anything else, he wants us to realize we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. He didn't create us to do life alone. We need each other. We need the church. And I'd say if it wasn't important, if the church wasn't important, then why did Jesus say in Matthew 16, verse 18, that he would build the church? It was Jesus that was going to build the church. Why in Acts 2 do we have the whole history of the church? Why do Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Philippians, why did those books even exist? Why were letters written to the church, for the church, and to the leaders of the church if the church wasn't important? Well, the church is important. The church is more than just important. I believe it's vital to our spiritual lives. And I kind of get tired of people using the excuse, Pastor, I used to go to church. I don't go to church anymore. I say, why? They say, well, I got tired of the hypocrites. Well, my word to them would be, hey, bro, we got room for one more. Amen. <laughs> we got plenty of room for one more. Every one of us sins every day. None of us are flawless. None of us are perfect. And I think it's amazing that we serve such a loving God that allows 
a hypocritical bunch like us to come together on a Sunday morning and celebrate God's goodness and celebrate God's grace. I think that's a good God. Amen. Look what it says in Ephesians 3.10. It says his intent or God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the what? Through the church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known. Church is important, folks. Church is important. We're going to learn some things when we attend church. Now, there are a few things to consider when you're looking for a good church, and I would say that every good church should promote reading of the Bible. Amen? There are a lot of them out there that aren't promoting reading of the Bible, and if they're not promoting reading the Bible and uh, preaching the gospel, then they might as well shut their doors because all they are is a glorified community center with a steeple because there is a power of life change in the Word of God. We need to be preaching the Word of God on a daily basis. You know, when I think about it, I'm not into Oprah. I'm not into self-helps. I'm into Jesus. Jesus is where the real answers are, amen? Hollywood may present their version, but Jesus is the answer that this world needs. Not just you and I here today, but every one of us in this world. So number two, a good church should tell you to repent. We don't like to hear repent. That's kind of those words that we kind of let fall along the wayside sometime. A good church should tell us to repent. As a pastor, I want you to enjoy every service we have. But God, on the other hand, he's not so much about the enjoyment as he is about the life change, about the transformation. God's not exactly worried about keeping us comfortable. In fact, he likes to make us a little uncomfortable. He likes to make us squirm a little bit. When was the last time you squirmed in church? You ever squirmed in church? If you haven't, maybe I'm not doing my job very well. <laughs> but God wants us to repent. And whenever... Uh, We've been uncomfortable in church. You know what I call that? Hitting the sore spot. Hitting the sore spot. Years ago in construction, I remember I cut the palm of my hand. And it wasn't a bad cut, but it was in a horrible place, right in one of these creases of my palm. So every time I made the slightest little move, I busted it open again. I couldn't even take a shower with busting, busting, without busting it open again. Couldn't do anything. Well, what I'm saying is there are going to be times, and God designed it this way, there are going to be times when you come into a church service and you're going, to hit a, hit, you're going to have me hit a few spiritual sore spots with the word that I'm speaking because it's not my word, hopefully. It's his word. Statistics show that 94% of Christians do not tithe. I think it's the number one thing that's holding a lot of people back from being fully, disobe being fully obedient to God and they're not living in the blessings of God. And when I preach on tithing, which is almost never, when I preach on tithing, it gets a little tense because I hit a few sore spots. When I preach on having sex outside of marriage, it gets a little tense sometimes because I've hit some spiritual sore spots. Let me tell you why God wants to hit spiritual sore spots. It's not spots. It's not so that He can condemn you. It's just so He can correct you. I'm thankful that we have a God that loves us enough to correct us, that loves us enough to call us to repent. And if you haven't sit in church and squirmed a little bit, the gospel's probably not being preached. I'll just put it that way. The third thing about God, uh, about a good church, is their motto should be welcome home. Their motto should be welcome home. You've probably heard this statement. It's been around a long time where it says the church is the only people or army that kills their wounded. Think about that. We're the only army that kills their wounded. 
Since I've been a Christian, I have messed up. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And I'm sure every one of us in this room have. Do you think I need to be condemned for it? No. I need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside me and say, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I've been there. I've done that. I want to help. Come on home. I love the, gospel, the truth in the story of the prodigal son. I love that story because this son willingly decides to walk away from his father. He had it all and he walked away from it. He walked away from his father. Walking away from his father making that decision didn't break his relationship with his father, but it broke his fellowship with his father. Not only with his father, but his family. And, and uh, he went on to make some horrendous decisions in his life put himself in some places he didn't want to be, and the last place he was was the pig pen where he was looking at the pig slop and thinking, well, this looks pretty good. So you know his life had fallen off the charts. It wasn't good. But I love what it says in verse 17. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. One of the things I love about this father in this story, which happens to, to be symbolic of God the Father, one thing I love about this father in this story he, was, he loved his son so much that he allowed him to go through some hell so that he could come to his senses. Now, parents, think about it. The reason our kids never learn a lot of times from the pig pen experiences in their lives is because when we see them falling in a pig pen, we go and we pull them out of the pig pen before they even ever have a chance to learn, come to their senses, to learn anything. We're quick to rescue well, God saw the bigger picture, and he knew that son had to come to his senses. I believe a lot of us, all of us, we have times in our lives, if we want to come to God, we've got to come to our senses. So when this son came to his senses, he realized, hey, I don't have to live like this anymore. He got up, he repented. By the, by the way, repentance is actually saying, I don't want to live like I've been living anymore, and I'm going to fight against it with everything I have. That's true repentance. So the son goes home to the father, and I love this about the father. The far, father's been looking for him the whole time he's been gone. And when the father sees him coming from a long way off, it says the father, and he's got to be up in his years. But he runs toward his son. And when he gets to his son, he puts his arms around his son. And he loves his son, pig slop and all. And the father says, welcome home. You know, there might be some people in this room, you need to hear this today. Maybe you're playing a little bit too close to the pig pen, and God is saying, welcome home. God is saying, come to your senses. Jesus is saying, come to your senses. And he's standing, looking, and waiting with open arms. That's a message that the church ought to be preaching. Not that you're condemned. If you mess up, they shouldn't be out there saying, you screwed up, try again. You screwed up, get yourself cleaned up, get yourself right, and then come back. We'll talk about it. No. The church, no matter what sin we've committed, ought to be there like Jesus Christ with open arms. Open arms. And say, welcome home. Put our arms around that person no matter who they are, what they've done. And love that person like Jesus Christ in the story of the prodigal son loved his son. Loves his daughters this morning. I believe that's the heart of the God that I serve. The fourth way God speaks through other people. Let me just give you a little heads up. If you're looking for financial advice, don't get financial advice from someone that's been bankrupt or someone that's broke, okay? And don't go to someone for marital advice that's been married seven times. But I do believe this with all of my heart, that God does want to speak through the lives of other people 
especially if we put ourselves in relationship with other people that are growing in Christ. Because you know what happens if someone's, someone's genuinely growing in Christ, out of the overflow of what God is showing them, they're going to speak into your life. They're going to speak into my life. I love what it says in Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, He who walks with the wise grows wise. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So it's really important who you hang out with, okay? It's really important who you listen to. Bad company corrupts good morals and good character. I remember a time not too long ago that as a minister, I was having one of these weeks that I couldn't keep up with. I was just overwhelmed. I'm thinking, God, how in the world am I going to do this? I've got four meetings this week, and that week I had two, maybe three funerals. One was a graveside, I think. I uh, was involved in a building project here at the church, and I had to get a fresh sermon for Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, God, how in the world am I going to be able to do this? How is this possible? Well, I went home and I turned on Christian television, and I'll never forget the preacher. He was there. The first words I heard out of his mouth was, if you didn't create it, you don't have to sustain it. If God created it, he will sustain it. Don't worry. And I got to thinking, wait a minute. I didn't call myself into this ministry. I didn't call myself to do what I'm even doing. It was God. He called me. He'll be my provider. He'll be my protector. He'll be my strength. He'll be my provision. It took the weight of the world off of my shoulders. The man spoke out of the overflow of what God was showing him, and it was a perfect word I needed. I'm so thankful that God loves us enough to speak through other people into our lives. And my last point, we're at the end. My last point, another way that God speaks to his people are through altar calls. I don't give an altar call every Sunday. I do some Sundays. I don't every Sunday. And I will say this because I've been on your side of things. Sometimes by the time of the altar call, you've already checked out. You're already whispering to your neighbor, where are we going to eat? Are we going to the Mexican place? Or are we going over to the pizza place? Or where? You've already checked out. Let me just say this this morning. When we check out early, guess what? That might have been the very moment that God had you in the entire service for, and you already checked out. And you missed the opportunity for God to do what God wanted to do in your life. You missed the opportunity for God to speak into your life like he wanted to speak, maybe to set you free from something, maybe to turn you in, a, in the right new direction. I believe we ought to come into every church service expecting God to do something, whether it's in the first of the service, middle of the service, or the end of the service. Amen? I believe we need to believe God for what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So this morning, I'm going to give an altar call. And my first question is, what did the Holy Spirit say during this message to you? What did the Holy Spirit speak to you through this message? Maybe it hit a sore spot. When I talked to repentance, maybe there's something in your life you need to repent. Maybe when you heard about the prodigal son, you feel like the prodigal son. Maybe you feel like you're a long way off from the father. It's time to come home. You know, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. But I want the rest of you to be in an attitude of prayer. I'm not even going to have you stand yet. But I want you to be in an attitude of prayer, praying for those that will come forward. And if you want me to pray for you, I'll be glad. But if you want to just come and make things right between you and God, turn around and go back, that's fine. But would you come? If this message just touched you, hit a few sore spots, 
made you think. You feel like this is your moment. Even if you had already checked out, you still got your dinner plans. They'll be there after. They'll be there after this altar call. So would you come? Could you stand to your feet, please? Father, we're so thankful for your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, that every time we meet, every single week, you're here before we get here. Full of grace, full of mercy, full of love for us, Lord God. And Father, when we preach your word, you're always among us. Your word is living and it's active. Father, I thank you that you're calling every one of us each day. You're speaking to every one of us every day. Lord, help us to shut out the distractions. Help us shut out every frustration of this world. Give us spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear what you're trying to say to us. Father, speak through your Holy Spirit. Speak through your Word. Speak through the church. Speak through others and speak through moments like this in a moment of prayer. But help us to receive it. And Father God, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and hearts. By spending time with you. Spending time with your spirit, spending time with your word. We give you thanks. I give you praise for every life change that has taken place today. We give you praise, glory, and honor for every day that we have. May we more every day honor you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Go change the world.